mi gente, welcome to Peruvians of USA, the podcast where we share the diversity of the Peruvian immigrant experience. This is your host, Natalie Sofia, and this community was born from the need to create a space for Peruvian immigrants to come together, to support each other, to learn from each other, and to document our stories. The stories our guests share with us are deeply personal and paint a new portrait of what it means to be a Peruvian immigrant. I hope you receive these stories with an open heart and an open mind. So let's get started. Welcome, Alexa Polar, to Peruvians of USA. Thank you for being here with us today. We're excited to learn your story, your Peruvian heritage, and also about your career as a writer and director. Alexa, please introduce yourself to our audience. Hi, I'm Alexa Polar. I am a writer-director. Uh, I also enjoy, you know, philanthropy, you know, so anything that has to do with advocating for causes that I feel are, I'm passionate about. Um, and, you know, I have... Uh, an immigration law background, so I do a lot of that as well. But uh, yeah, I feel like I'm a little bit boring, but I know that um, oh, no. I know in retrospect, I'm not. <laughs> There's no Peruvian that I've met that's boring. <laughs> so you have so many, so many aspects to your to your story that I love, and I think the members of the audience will love as well. So let's first start with your Peruvian heritage. You're Peruvian. You were born in Peru, and your parents are also Peruvian. So share with us a little bit, like. What brought you to the U.S.? I'm sure it's similar to all of us, but share a little yeah. bit about that. Uh, I've been to the U.S. since I was seven months old, so I know a lot more of America, obviously, because this is where I was raised. I was raised in Long Beach. My mom and my dad, Peruvians, son peruanos, okay? So they came here. There's five of, six of us. The, the, I always joke about my younger brother because he was born here. I said he was a happy accident. My, my family celebrated when they came back, you know, came to this country. But um, yeah, I I went back to Peru when I was uh, 12, I think for the first time uh, since being here. And it was, um, I, I wouldn't say it was a culture shock, but it wasn't like fully what I expected. Because obviously being an American, uh, you learn different things about your own culture. And it's very generic. And it's very like, everything looks like Cusco, you know? And then when you go there and you're in Lima and you're like, no, it does not. Um, so it, it was... Um, you know, interesting. I love my, being Peruana. I enjoy it. I, my parents, we only speak Spanish at home. The only people I talk English to are my brothers and my nephews and nieces and sister-in-laws because I have no sisters. I'm the only daughter. Uh, but my parents, parents are Peruvian, you know, so there's a lot of that when we have family get together, it's all like the best food ever. My dad's an international chef. So we, we eat up good, but it, we mainly focus on like, you know, the best food, which is the, you know, the Peruvian food. But yeah, been here since I was seven months old. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm fluent in both language, English and Spanish. So sometimes when uh, I go to, you know, speak to other people, they get thrown back finding out that I'm Peruvian. Being in California, as soon as they find out I'm Latina, like they automatically think, oh, you're from Mexico. And I'm like, no, I'm Peruvian. But being here and I'm at a location and I meet another Peruvian, we both get excited because we're like, oh my God, you're Peruvian too. Like, yeah, and I've gone back and forth, but uh, I went there because I wanted to go to Machu Picchu, you know, and I said, I want to go see it. And it was one of the best, most memorable, memorable trips I've ever made. I, I'm just very proud of my Peruvian heritage. And I, I love the fact that my parents, it, like, kept that, like, a lot of traditions um, instead of, you know, I, I have cousins that don't know Spanish as much because they were raised where you're here, focus on English more, where my parents were do a little bit of both, you know, because it'll, it, it'll be useful to you. And they were right, you know, so that's why 
I think I, I, I was very fortunate to have the parents that I have um, because when you enter my home, you're in Peru. Yeah, yeah. No, perhaps your parents were keeping you bilingual, right? That was something that my parents also did when we came. I was probably 10, and actually, when I took us to the school, the counselor told my parents, hey, you guys should probably start speaking English at home. So she picks up English and doesn't have an accent when she speaks. And my dad was like, absolutely not. Like, we're speaking Spanish at home because she's already going to be speaking English outside of home anyway. And I don't want her to lose her language or like Spanish. And so I am also very thankful to my parents for keeping that out because it's very it's perfectly understandable for anybody who doesn't want their kids to have an accent and want them to assimilate and have an easier time than they did. Mm-hmm. But there's it's such a gift to be bilingual, to speak multiple languages. And now that I have a little girl, like, right, like I'm trying to think with my husband, like, how do we keep that out? He's learning Spanish. He's not a Spanish native speaker, but he's learning Spanish as well. So, yeah, to, it's, it's to anybody out there, like, if you can keep your kids bilingual or more, like, perhaps to you, it's definitely a gift. Absolutely. I totally encourage it. I recall you mentioning in school. I remember one year when I was in elementary school. They were trying to keep me back and put me in ESL. Now, keep in mind, I've been here since I was an infant. And they, being, you know, what it is back in the days, I, you know, I'm not going to age myself, but I'm in my 40s. They were like um, already just assuming they had the natural assumption their mother, her mother is, uh, you know, Hispanic. Clearly, the child's not going to know English without even speaking to me, the child. So they were placing me in ESL classes only. And it was very confusing for me at the time because, as I mentioned, outside of my home, it was all English. And so I was confused as to what was happening. Um, And the course, the lectures were different. They were, it was kind of like literally holding you back because they were starting from scratch. Uh, And again, this is when I was older. This is past kindergarten. This is like first or second, third grade. I don't recall which grade it was, but it was like teaching me how to read and write from the start. Instead of like, she came in with a little knowledge. It was kind of like, you have no knowledge, no education at all. So here's a crayon, go color, and then we'll figure out what to do with you. And I, you know, it just wasn't working with me. And my mother was very upset. And she went to the school board and asked them, what is this? And they said, well, you can't, you know, speak English very well. So your daughter clearly can't. And she's like, have you spoken to my daughter? And they said, no, we're, it's what it is. It's a decision. So my mom like tackled it on. Uh, they had me go to this, I'll never forget, it was like all these teachers and board members, and I was the only child there, and they gave me, uh, this woman came and sat down to me, and she said something, and I learned this word for the first time, it was so embarrassing, like now thinking back, but because you learn like the words of conversations that you have in Spanish at home, that's natural, so if you never said something, or keep in mind, our Spanish is different than like other like people's Spanish, right? So this woman came up to me, and she started talking to me in Spanish, but she held up an apple. And I knew it was an apple. I would call it an apple. But uh, I've never heard my mom say apple in Spanish because she would never say she would just give it to me or whatever, right? Um, So I never heard what it was called. And the lady said, manzana. And I looked at my mom, like, confused. And the lady's like, do you know what this is? And I said, apple. And the lady was, like, confused. She was like, wait, she said that in English, like, perfect English. And and she's like, do you know what this is? I was like, it's an apple. And she's like, it's a manzana. I was like, ma'am, I don't know what a manzana is. That's an apple. <laughs> you know? And the lady's like, you know what? We're stopping the test. This girl is just like, she's speaking fluent English. She doesn't need to be in the ESL classes. And my mom's like, I'm glad I never said manzana to you. <laughs> but like, thinking, right? thinking back, I felt so like ignorant about it. Because like, how do you not know manzana's apple? But at the same time, it saved me and my education because I was able to go to regular classes and whatnot. But it's really weird, the assumption that... uh 
the states or the government has on Latinos, you know, and and that reflects a lot of how I feel now and how I want to help others out. Yeah, and perhaps your mom for, you know, speaking up and trying and advocating for you because I think sometimes many parents don't do that. And I don't think it's not because they don't care. I think it's just they're tired. Like they're working, they're doing other things, or they don't even know how to even abdicate. Sometimes in back in our countries, you don't, there's no such thing as complaining. This is what it is and just gonna follow along. So but mm-hmm. see your mom for doing that. So I know you also, you shared with us that you also did a brief term in the U.S. Army to fast track to citizenship. Can you share a little bit about that decision, but also like that process of, you know, going to the armed forces to fast track citizenship and what members of our audience can learn from your story? Sure. Um, Well, first of all, it's a promise that the government places that isn't exactly true. They make it seem like it's so easy if you enlist and enroll into any of the armed forces and it'll help you fast track to becoming a citizen, which is not true. Now, I work in immigration law. Um, I know what it takes, the procedures that it takes. It helps, but it does not guarantee or fast track you anything. Now, I'm going to give you an example. But first, I'm going to share the reason why I got into the Army, because it blows people mind and it blows my mind. I don't regret it, but it was like one of those things in life. I was, you know, young and I thought I was doing the right thing. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but I had my different reasons. Like you mentioned, wanting to fast track citizenship. Um, I was trying to actually join the Peace Corps. That was my goal. And I went and I was, you know, signing up and everything was good. I wanted to make a difference in the world and whatnot. And then they declined my application because I'm not a U.S. citizen. And I was like so heartbroken because I was committed to it. And I said, that's ridiculous that someone that wants to do this and you need the help, you're, you know, saying no because you're not a citizen. Um, They said, when you become a citizen, come back. The office of the U.S. Um, Peace Corps was uh, right next to the military. Like, you know, there's different offices there. So I was like leaving and I was like upset. And this gentleman walked out in uniform and he said, go, oh, what's wrong? You were, did you enlist or enroll or whatever? And I said, no, uh, they wouldn't take me because I'm not a citizen. And he's like, well, we'll take you and we'll help you get a citizen and I'll become a citizen. I was like, how's that? And he explained the process to me. He said, oh, if you do like reserve, then you'll only do it part time. But like, so he was selling it. And I didn't realize that he was basically the army salesman. So I was sold because he convinced me. And I was like, that sounds amazing. Like, I don't have to fully be enrolled. It's awesome. You know, and then be a citizen and then I can come back. Yes, sign me up. And I did. I should have looked more into it. Uh, Again, I don't regret it. But yeah, that was my reason why. Now, I learned that they don't help you with your citizenship. They don't help you with anything. It's just once you're in there, you're in there and that's it. And you're committed for whatever the, the term is or the, the, of the agreement or the contract. Um, I was able to get out because of medical conditions that I had to fight to prove because I kept passing out. I kept fainting. I kept like things were kept going wrong. Like I would wake up in the medic and my drill sergeant will be yelling at me thinking I was faking it. And the a doctor would come in and say, like, no, she's not faking it. <laughs> like, just don't yell at her. She's like, not all there. That's not the right thing. Um, so anyways, I was able to leave uh, because I had to call my primary doctor at home. And he was able to uh, send all my paperwork that, like, basically what the military wanted was proof that uh, they don't want to let me go. So for a while, a long time, I was classified, and this may sound weird, but I was classified as a dead soldier. Um, a dead soldier walking is what they called it. Because... They didn't want to let me go, but they, because they didn't want to take responsibility for my health, because then they would have to forever be responsible for taking care of me 
health wise and they didn't want to do that. Um, so they were holding me in a limbo, but because I couldn't do anything without risking passing out, uh, they would have to give me a card where if someone would come up to me, another drill sergeant saw me walking around and, you know, the base, they would say like, do whatever pushups. I would have to show them this card. Like I'm a dead soldier walking, meaning like I'm here, but I'm not like, you can't talk to me. I can't do that in case something happens to me. So then I was basically just a ghost walking around this base until we could figure out how to get me home. And I, I was miserable, but happy at the same time. It was kind of like a weird mix of emotion because I was very prideful. They'd make you very pride prideful of the country so I was that I you know I followed all the rules but I was also miserable because I wasn't able to do what the others were doing I was like a child watching everyone play and I was just like stuck so the only way out was for a doctor outside of the military to say she's had this before then they will let me go because then they're not medically responsible and that's a key thing is like they didn't want to be responsible for a lot of things including the citizenship so the reason why they tell you or tell people when they enlist, especially Latinos, like if you're a permanent resident and you have your green card and you want to enroll and, you know, enlist because you can become a citizenship like that, I want to let you know that that is not exactly true. The process of becoming a citizen is still the same. The Army, the Navy, whichever branch, they do not do it for you. It is your responsibility to do it on your own. And once you do it on your own, the process is the same. The time length is the same. The only difference is like, it's kind of like an extra perk. It's almost like you have you had good credit, now you have great credit. Or if you had fair credit, now you have good credit because it gives you extra points because you said you served in the military. That's the only difference there is. So I want people to have that knowledge and understanding that the process and what your expectations are, it's not like you go in there and all of a sudden like, here you go, you're a citizen. That's not what it is. You still have to go through the procedures on your own, whether you get an attorney to file it for you or not, or you do it on your own. Um, and the length of time is still the same. Everything exactly the same. It's just like you have extra points because you were in the military. That's it. They could still deny you if there's other factors and issues uh, that come up in your application of becoming a citizen. Uh, so it's it's just a perk. It's not a guarantee that you'll be a citizen. And and this is the part that I wanted to share as an example. There was th this went public uh, many years back. But I remember it because I was in the military and I've seen it more cases than this one that went public. But there was this soldier that was a, a had his green card. He died um, while in battle, like in combat. So he passed away and his family fought for all his things after he died um, because they, he went in going like, I'm going to become a citizen. I'm going to get all the benefits and all the perks that it is, which you do, but there's no difference really. and um, there's more to it once you become a citizen, right? They don't tell you that. So the soldier came back to his family. His family had to fight for him to have his proper burial that was owed to him by the government, by the military, because um, there was some, you know, setbacks to it uh, because he wasn't a full-on citizen, because he was never a citizen. He never applied, right? Because he was in combat. So he didn't have a chance to apply. So he died in combat. They set his body back home. The family took a long time to get it uh, where the government paid for his funeral, which they did, because that's part of the, the thing that you sign when you enroll and you get that. Um, but the other thing was the family said, our son died for this country. And the reason why he enrolled enlisted was because he wanted to be a citizen and he died with his green card for this country. So it took them over a year to get his citizenship post-mortem. 
So because the military was still denying it, the family had to fight for it. So they finally got him his citizenship. And again, it was over a year. I think it was nearly two years for this soldier to, to get what he fought for and what he died for. So I want to make that clear. I don't think that has been resolved because I recall when that came up public, the only ones that were upset about it, we're talking about it, were us, the Latinos. But, you know, outside of that, they don't, it's still the same. It takes a lot of things for, you know, things to change with the procedures and whatnot. I mean, look, there's, we're just now talking about um, sexual misconduct in the military and it's still very prevalent. It's still something that happens. I have stories of not on my own, but of other things that I've, witnessed while I was in the military that went unresolved. So there's pros and cons to everything. Just I always have respect for the military, like the servicemen and, and women that are in it, um, because I know that there's very different reasons why everyone enrolls and listens into it. Um, but it's not always because we're pro-America. It's because we're pro-ourselves and we want to do something to benefit ourselves and our family while also being uh, proud of where we're at. So. Just weigh your options and know that what's best for you and see what decisions or what fields you want to go into before fully deciding. Because if you're going in and thinking, I'm going to become an automatic citizen um, and enlisting in the military, that's not exactly true. So just know it's, it's an extra perk, but it's not like an automatic thing. Like you don't go in there. Not a guarantee. Yeah. It is not a guarantee. So it seems like an undocumented person could sign up and leave undocumented as well? Uh, undocumented? No, I think no? you would have to have some sort of, uh, yeah, you would have to have something. I mean, okay. they would help you because the thing is like they want people to, especially if there's a short enrollment. If there's, um, I don't know how things are right now, but if there's not enough people enlisting into the military, they will be a little lenient and fast track. Uh, my thing is that is never talked about um, and the reason why, you know, you're looking at different communities, right? So if you go to a very nice upscale community, you're not going to see a lot of people that are in the military there, not that are younger, right? It's like, it's their older generation. Like I served this country and you made it because financially things were different. And now you have this beautiful home in this beautiful area and whatever, right? But if you're looking at a different generation, they're not going to be enlisting because they're comfortable. You're doing, there's no need for it. They target certain communities. And certain communities, um, depending of color, uh, just depending where it is that they're targeting. And it, it is purposeful that they do this because they're there to get you on whatever works. Education, we promise you an education, which they do. They have a great educational um, you know, program where they, they can help you fund your education. You do get a lot of assistance with that. They save medical. They, there's all these perks that are true. However, um, just bear in mind what you're getting yourself into and for how long because sometimes it's like minimum five years sometimes so it just depends on what you get into yeah. but again targeting those demographics you're also targeting demographics where there's a, a lot of issues with a need but drug use yeah. okay so i've seen the majority of the people that were enlisted in the military were either latinos that wanted to fast track to get a citizenship or people that could not afford rehab so they went into the military um, as their rehab um and I just want to keep that in mind, like, know what you're getting into. You're, you know, th these are the soldiers. They're sacrificing themselves because they are sacrificing themselves. Yeah. They can't afford to go to rehab. So this is their only out. This is the only option. That was the majority of the people that I saw enlist where they could not afford rehab. They were struggling and they knew to target them. Um, and that's not talked about. 
like mm-hmm. ever. But I saw it firsthand and it blew my mind right. that that was it, that this is our rehab. Yeah. And, and like it's another thing I want to highlight that you uh, mentioned in your story was like when you left the office for the Peace Corps, there was this kind of salesman from the army. And that's exactly what it is. It's a salesperson mm-hmm. and they are trained to sell you on this opportunity. It could be a great, fantastic opportunity. To your point, there could, you know, the benefits are there. Um, just like with anything, I, I, I think in, in the U.S., like there's process, procedures for everything. There's red tape for everything. And so it's not just going to be a given that things just come easy to you, like the benefits that they promise. And, we're, and, and thank you, Alexa, for sharing your story. I just wanted to touch on it a little bit because um, I want to make sure that our community is aware, you know, that this mm-hmm. is a reality and to just to be mindful and to be educated in the decisions they make. And to your point, exactly. we definitely respect uh, men and women who are in the military, but we also want to make sure that when you make this decision, you understand that it's a big decision and, and that you are, my, you are aware of like what comes with that decision. So thank you again. Exactly. Yeah. No, you're welcome. All right. So let's pivot a little bit to uh, your career now as the writer, <laughs> director, philanthropist, all the great things. <laughs> yeah. How did, how did you get started, uh, you know, writing? And directing, and then, um, yeah, tell us about your career. Sure. Um, I've always enjoyed writing. I always enjoy putting a story together. Um, when I was in high school, I, I got a scholarship because of my writing. I think creativity, that's where I thrive in, like just the written words and telling stories and being able to put something together. Um, very visual in how I do it. Um, and I got into the legal route Briefly, after high school, I knew I wanted to get into writing, but I went legal route because, you know, when you come from a family that, you know, is an immigrant, they always try to push like doctor, lawyer, you know, like that's what they want. And it's it's not a bad thing. It's a great thing if you have the heart and love for it. Right. So my heart and love and passion is for the arts, but I didn't know it just yet. And I went thinking I, I do know how to argue. So maybe I am meant to go into law. Um and I do, and I love it. I still enjoy it. I still use it on my day-to-day life. But I kept going back to writing. Um, and then I found that's where it was. That's where my heart is. And even though sometimes it's a struggle because as an artist, it's not easy. And there's a lot of factors into it too, especially in the film and television industry where we as Latinos, we have the market. We're the biggest market in the industry, but we don't see ourselves a lot in what we watch, right? And we don't see our, our own voices. It's a lot of uh, stereotypes, you know? And it's weird because we struggle as an artist to get our voices heard and told properly. Um, we're not all cleaning people. We're not all, you know, like we're not all, uh, whatever the stereotype is, we're not all gang members. We're not all, like, there's always a set stereotype that we see reflecting back to us and we're told that's what we are even though in my whole life turn around and it's not what we are right so I've always wanted to tell stories of what I've experienced or just my imagination and always when it comes out it comes out diverse because I see diversity in my family in my friendships and that's how I tell my stories in this film and television industry it's a struggle because I'm female because I'm Latina it's always um, held me back my natural being held me back because of those in power in the industry. Uh, so it's not easy. That's part of the reason why I founded a nonprofit called Female Filmmakers Fuse was to help promote others, not just Latinas, but just women in general. Um, because, and that was, I, 
female filmmakers views formed the cusp of the Me Too movement, but it wasn't because of the Me Too movement. It was just, we were done and we were exploding and we wanted to be heard. And in different groups of ethnicities and whatnot, diverse backgrounds, we wanted to, we were just fed up. And that's why I think the Me Too movement exploded because we were just done. We were popping at the seams and you're seeing a lot of groups come up, a lot of entertainers, a lot of just people um, that want to voice their opinion because we're fed up of being held back and being told this is who we're supposed to be when we know who we are. But at the same time as we're being held back, they're also not allowing us to tell our voices. So I'll give you a brief example. I wrote a project that hasn't come out pro public yet, um, but it will soon. I wrote a project and I did this in part because of one of my other projects being held back. So I wrote Our Culture. That's not the one I'm talking about. Our Culture was inspired by the Brock Turner case. And it has to do a lot about rape culture in America. And, and I use a lot of like the Latin aspects into it um, where if you're, it's hard for a woman to come forward and speak up, it's harder for a woman of color to come forward and speak up. So that's what that script was about. A lot of people loved it. It got far. It has some funding and whatnot. It's got some attachments, but it kind of stopped at that point. And it kind of just felt like it floated and it's still floating, you know, it's still strong and whatnot. It has all the, the right elements, but I need a little bit more to get it done. So I found out, and I know this isn't the only reason why, but part of the reason why some of my projects weren't being made was because of me is what was told. Like they said, you don't, we don't, no one knows who you are. No one's heard of you. Yes, your writing is good. It's great sometimes, but we need to know more. And I'm like, it's a weird cycle, right? So you want to know more, but you don't want to use what I have here. I need to prove myself to use it, but I can't prove myself because I'm being held back. So I wrote this other project to help me and I was going to do it completely independent. And it got into some big hands and now it became another big, you know, happy mess is what I call it. But in this happy mess, I've learned a lot more because I had this gentleman come up to me and say, I want to co-produce it. We'll get it done this year. All this stuff. Made all these promises. And I was like, great, because this film is going to help me launch our culture, my, the film that I really want to launch. And it's being held back because of me from what I'm being told. So I need anything and everything to prove that I am this filmmaker that I know that I am because of the people I've seen some of my work, but you know, um, and this gentleman, this is a prime example of how we're being held back. He said, yeah, I love the story. Everything was great. You have attachments. You're ready to go. Except, well, here's my contract. I looked at the contract. He didn't know I had a legal background. So I'm reading the contract and I'm reading between the lines and I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to sign this. Like if I came in as a writer only, I will sign it. But I was going to direct it as well because I already got to know my talent. I already got to work with my crew. We were ready to go. We just needed a little bit more to finish it, right? So I'm reading this contract and I was like, this is not a fair contract. And I told my producing partner, who's, who's also an attorney, and he said, you're right. This is very, very off. So we went and talked to this gentleman. And I called him the gentleman just to be nice. So we went to him and talked to him and explained to him like the reasons why I wasn't going to sign it. Because I looked at it. And basically what it was saying, and my co-producing partner found out because he didn't want to tell me directly because my co-producing partner, he's, he's caught, you know, he's white. He's from, you know, he's from Boston. And, you know, so he fits their narrative of what they want. I don't. So they ignored me and didn't tell me, but they felt comfortable and confident enough to tell him thinking he's going to be able to convince me to sign this contract. But they didn't know that we have this rapport. We have this trust. 
he's not, he's going to understand and respect my final decision. So I found out that what they were going to do was remove me completely from the project that I wrote and put another man's name on it. I'm not a man, but they're going to put a man's name on it. Um, and then they were going to have a, another man come in and direct the project. Now, this is a female story, female led project. And they were going to make some slight adjustments just for obviously the male gaze. Uh, and so when he told me, he was like blown away because I would always tell him like, this is what I see. He's like, I don't think so. Cause he's not like that. He's like, I don't think it's like that. I get where you're coming from, but I don't think it is. And when he saw that it, it was exactly like that, he understood more my plight, my issues with this industry, which I love. It's just a constant struggle. So that's part of the reason why I'm learning is we're constantly being held back because someone wants to take credit for our work or someone doesn't want us allowed to use our own voices and tell the stories that we know can be told accurately, yeah. right? And that's part of the issue. That's part of my struggle is finding common people that will also assist you in the same thing. Because everyone, it's a very like shark eating shark world right. in the industry. Like everyone wants to try to make it because everyone's struggling to make it. Right. So it's some not even people, subtle. It's not even it's, subtle. Not at all. That, that's what blows my mind. It's like very out there. Like, I oh, will remove you. This is your idea. You have, you have all the talent. You have the story. But yeah, we're just going to remove you. Sign this. And like anybody else, perhaps, who is, doesn't have attention to detail or whatever, maybe would have signed it and, and lose mm -hmm. that credit. Like, that blows my mind that it's just not even subtle. Like, they're that's just like, so did this person, this gentleman, <laughs> did he ever give you a reason why he wanted to remove your name? Not that there is any, to be honest, but like. The same reason that I'm always given is that no one knows that exists or. That's why I always joke that I someone that's here but no one knows i'm here um i always joke around and say like my biggest fans are my parents and honestly that's all i need i'm i'm most of the stuff i do is for my mom and my dad and for myself but mainly for them but other than that i don't really care and i think that's part of the reason why it works in my benefit because i don't care and i know that sounds weird to say it i'm still fighting because and i can say no because i don't care you know it, and they tell me like well you're never going to get it done all right. Well, you neither are you. Away. Right. You I can, can walk, walk away. away. Yeah. And that's exactly that's exactly it. Because I I I tell them that I'm like, yeah, you're right. It probably will never get done. But you're still definitely not going to take it from me. And that's it. So no one wins. And I'm happy with that. You know. And and that's what gets them. Because I've I've gotten insulted. I I had even this woman once go off on me. Like it took her till she got six. You know, turned sixty. And I'm like, so instead of saying like it took me to like. The, you switch the narrative there. You're going off on me because it took you. And she's a, you know, and I hate to use this, but uh, she she was this white woman and she was upset that I did not sign this contract. She was part of the same deal. And she's like, I, I struggled a long way. And it wasn't until I hit 60 that I was able to finally direct my first movie. You should just deal with it and do what's right until you reach that. And I'm like, so, so let me get this straight. You're upset because it took you until you turned 60 to direct your first movie that no one's seen or heard of. But instead of saying like, wow, this girl, like, let me help her out. So it doesn't take her until she turns 60 to do her first movie that no one's going to see or hear of. I'm like, how does that make sense? That's how I see the world. If I'm struggling and I see someone else is struggling with the same thing, I'm like, come on, let's go. Uh, like, I'm already making like I'm using this path. Let's go this way because it's a little bit easier. It's still a struggle, but at least we got each other. That's what I, that's why I did Female Filmmakers Fuse because that's how I see the world. 
I'm not going to be like, nope, I'm going to move everyone out the way and I'm going to make it. And this industry changes you. How do I, what if it, I become that, I know I won't, but what if, and it happens a lot and it's not their fault, but it does get to you where you're told by other people, like, let them figure it out. You've made it focus on you because you're not going to have it for a long time. Right. Oh, so that's wow. why you have a lot of people in this industry where you think they're going to help and they don't. You think they're going to make a path. The only help that they do is that they're now our voices and, and our representation. Not all. Right. I'm not right. saying all because there's some amazing talent out there that are helping out their communities and trying to get them in because they don't want them to struggle the way they did. Right. Um, but I do see it because there's a lot of gatekeeping in this industry. Yeah. When you sign with certain agents, they don't present you with everything. They're only looking at their wallets. Their heart is their wallets. Yeah. My heart yeah. is my heart. It, it seems like there's a, sca a scarcity mindset of like, you know, there's not enough for all of us. So we got to protect what we have. So that's, exactly. that's, that's a very tough, tough industry to be in. And like props to you for having the inner strength to to be in it and not to lose yourself and not lose your heart and not lose your mind, to be honest. <laughs> right. <laughs> Trying. <laughs> there's sometimes, you know, honestly, there's like, why am I doing this? Like, there are times, you know, that I do want to give up, that I, I'm done and I'm contemplating like, all right, this isn't the career that I want to do. But then I think of my own well-being, my mental health, my stability and how miserable I am at a regular other job or a career. I, mm -hmm. I'll do time to time just to make ends meet, but I'm not happy. It's weird that sometimes I'm happiest when I'm struggling trying to make this work with my path as an artist you know and i i love my parents so much because they are so supportive all their kids are artists <laughs> you know I, well i and it's so funny oh my like also so I, I think minus robert my older brother he's he's an athlete so he and he has his own career um you know, he has his job. He's stable. He's in stable in his career. So it's a little bit different with him. And you can tell because his life and all that. And then you see the artists and we're really promoting ourselves, doing all we can to make it. And he's proud of us, too. But there is a difference. And I'm seeing it like, oh, my God, there's a huge difference. And we're the artists are we're doing everything to get back. But we're also putting pushing our art as much as we can. Yeah. It's a different mindset and lifestyle. Right. And even if you're struggling, you're still happiest because you're doing what you love yeah you know and you're so, living your purpose you're living your purpose right and yeah like many, exactly many, many of us and i guess like sometimes i feel this way like who have a nine to five that's not my purpose so it's a struggle sometimes that's very enlightening to thank you for sharing your experience in the film industry talk to us about some of your projects particularly the one i read about which was marilyn monroe's <laughs> project tell us about that yeah uh the Maryland, it's called Maryland, Mexico. That's the title, the official title, Maryland, Mexico. It is that one. Gosh, I, I had COVID. Well, beforehand, um, it was presented to me. I had my brother, one of my brothers, uh, Dennis uh, from Los Los Studios. He came up to me and he said, hey, I heard something. I read an article once upon a time that Marilyn Monroe, you know, had links or something to Mexico. Can you look into that? And... Is it something that maybe once you look into it, can you write something about it? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, um, I immediately contacted one of my sister-in-laws because she has connections to the government. So her father, um, her father, grandfather was in the CIA. So she has a lot of connections. I won't go into detail, but there's a lot of connections there. And so I was able to get a hold of a lot of documents. So most of it, of course, is uh, stuff that you can find, uh, you know, through the Freedom Act. So it's not like it's a big mystery. 
but there's some stuff there that if you take your time to really read it and research a person, you know, you learn that about that person more and more. So Maryland, Mexico, kind of the story that I put together is based on her last trip to Mexico. And there's a lot to be revealed. I can't go into detail what's going to be revealed, but a lot of what she learned or a lot of herself um, and who she was in that time frame. Um, this happened in, you know, the year that she passed away, months before she passed away. Um, but we get a glimpse of who she truly was. On the contrary, from another film that I won't mention that was not real. It's not a biopic. This is a biopic. Um, but it's not, it's kind of like, have you seen my week with Marilyn? It's based on that week in Marilyn's life, right? So this is not her full from birth to death. This is just a portion of her life that still was an impactful portion of her life that we delve into. Um, it was very heartbreaking to learn a lot of things about this woman. Um, it's heartbreaking to see still today that people don't know this woman at all and just see the sexualization of her and think that's all there is to her when she was extremely intelligent. Uh, you know, and she she was more of a, uh, I forget what it's called. I think it was a demisexual, but but she had she fell in love with the intellect, not anything else. So she was in essence also bi as well because of that. You know, so she she wasn't focused on like she was this sex goddess and she only wanted men and wanted children. That's not what this woman was. She was very very intuitive, very intelligent, and she struggled because of the secondary image that Hollywood placed her on. Like you, you're the blonde bombshell and that's it and just you know look beautiful and play dumb and uh she had a lot of struggles um with that clearly but i think she felt the most free when she was in mexico uh she felt different there where if you go to something that i noticed is that if she were to speak french or italian or any other language or, or go to any other country it's romanticized right but you don't really speak of it when you go to like a Latin country or like, you know, like Mexico or whatever. Um, it's weird how that works still today. It was then and it's still now. I, did she speak Spanish? She might have. Yeah, you're going <laughs> to reveal that on the film. Okay, okay yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to, I mean, I, I want to ask so many questions, but at the same time, I know I'll just wait for the film to come out. I can't give one. We, we could talk outside. <laughs> we could talk outside of this. Are we allowed to say uh, what, uh, I guess, um, her connection to Mexico? Uh, you know. Now, none of this, I guess I'm thinking more from like parental, like, okay, yeah, well, you know. Or now. Um, no, I mean it's it's public knowledge. I I mm -hmm. think my thing is like, um, it's there's weird. It? There's more to it, but it's also depending on how you look at it too. Okay. Because, uh, you know, you don't have to be born somewhere to be that. But also, you know, I I think it's safe to say she had this love, just this whole respect for a country that people don't know. Okay. If she were to say, like, I love going to Italy, we would know she loved going to Italy. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people don't know how much she loved Mexico. Right. Like, she truly loved it. Like, she felt a true, deep connection to that country. Yeah. She, I, she was able to be who she truly was. Right. 
Um, I, I think there was more freedom there, whereas uh, other places, you know, like that's what I'm saying. Like you romanticize it when you go to another country. And um, and that's part of the whole immigration part, right, in this country. Uh, I deal with a lot of immigration paperwork, and I know we're still talking about the Maryland-Mexico project, but I just mm -hmm. want to put this out there as an example. Right. We always focus about, not we, but in this country, they're always like put up a wall. Um, all these illegal aliens or immigrants or whatever they call Latinos, because that's where their focus is, right? It blows my mind how hardworking anyone that comes into this country, legally or illegally, because the thing that they don't realize is that a person that comes into this country, even if it's illegal, they go out of their way to get a job. Yeah. And this is not talked about. They pay taxes. Yeah. They pay taxes and they never get refunds. They don't, they're giving that money to the government. Right. There, a lot of the funds that go into the government go by those so-called illegal immigrants because they're scared. They want to make it. They're doing all they can and they're working under, a, you could legally get, people don't know this. You could, yes, yeah. you could get an ITIN. Yeah, you, you get it. You can get that number. You register, you get that number, even if you're not legal right. and you could work legally here with that number. Yeah. You just, they never report it. They just keep giving taxes and taxes right. and taxes, right? And they I'm sitting get, They never get Social Security ever when they ever. retire. When they retire, yeah. all the years yeah. of work, this yeah. is stuff that's not talked about. They never talk yeah. about this because they don't want to. Now, I do the paperwork a lot of times for immigrants and I help them. The majority of the people that get away with it, that don't, you don't see face deportation, they're not hiding, they're in plain sight, are those that come here from Canada or Europe. There is the majority of the stuff that I've seen paperwork wise legally like documents and they're panicking they're not panicking like how there's a difference in the approach when they come up to me and say hey can you help me do my documents or whatever like i'm here on an expired visa how long have you been here years how are you working like they literally live their life in the best way possible for the most part better areas better jobs better pay even if it's under the table it's all better the europeans and I'm not speaking badly. I'm just, it's this is what our society has made it be, right? You're 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 illegal and you're bad if you're Hispanic. You're brown. If you're everything else, it's just like exactly. You're brown. It's just like mm -hmm. you're bad. Yeah, and yeah. I also read an article somewhere that um one of the, the um, Canadians or one of the largest groups of people that overstay their visa. Yes. Yes. Are actually, the greatest one of the greatest illegal quote unquote or undocumented. Yes. And so. And yet, to your point, nobody talks about that. Right? No one talks but about it. It's all They're about the brown and black people crossing that's, the border. That's what it is. When you see the stuff on the news or you see, like, uh, you know, the uh, ICE go and arrest people, you literally have someone right next to them that is Canadian or European. Because I've done a couple of paperwork for Europeans that were here long past their visa, their stay. And they go right past them, but they go right towards that, like, Latino, right? The the one that's struggling, the one that's paying all that to fund them. That's what blows my mind. Yeah. That yeah. money is going to fund them. And they're the ones that are being sent back. Yeah. You and, know, yeah. it's. And just yeah. to like cover that last tax part, um, not only do undocumented um, immigrants who have an I-10 pay taxes that are never getting back through Social Security, but they're also paying sales taxes. Every time they buy something, there's sales taxes. When they buy property, mm -hmm. there's real estate taxes. Yeah. And so, yep. So the undocumented community pays a lot of taxes to the IRS. Mm -hmm. uh, they're never going to see that money. And never. when you're undocumented, you also have no access to benefits. So like exactly. whole, this whole argument of like they're coming here to get benefits. I'm sorry. No. Like no. how is somebody who's undocumented going to get a benefit when they, they can? You can. You have they to get documented. They, they have this. They were told 
that they're here, that they're given this, that they're not the kindest, most amazing people because they're not criminals either. Now, I'm not saying that there, there are in every groups of people, there's going to be a criminal here and there, but they're making it seem like they're all what, you know, the orange man said <laughs> that they're all coming in to rape and murder and all this stuff. And it's not that because the kindest people and the way that they work so hard, because I, I, they'll come up to me. Can you please help me? Like, I'll, I'll pay you a little bit. I'm like, let me just look at what you have. Let's see what you have. Let's see how I can help. Let's see how we can do this document for you. Fill it out for you because they're panicking. They want to do right. They're scared. They want to vote. And some of them vote Republican because they think if I vote Republican, then they'll like me. It's kind of like if I sit with the cool kids that are treating me and bullying me like crap, then they'll like me. And I'm like, no, just vote for your best interest. <laughs> vote for what how it benefits you. Um, but it, it's, it's heartbreaking because they have so much heart. They have so much heart. They work hard. They, they are, like you're saying, they're not getting the benefits that they say they are. because they, They're scared. They're frightened because they don't want to go back. They'd rather continue the struggle. Ill, however, they continue doing what they can because they want to stay in this country. But it, it's just, it's heartbreaking. But anyways, the reason why I bring that up is, is because the love that Marilyn had for Mexico was not pushed or even acknowledge as much because it was Mexico. You know, if she was, you know, like you look at the films back in the days and the music or whatever, it would be kind of like a trend. But for the most part, it's kind of like, let's just focus on uh, like Audrey Hepburn. She goes to Rome, a Roman holiday, like all this, like that's what the passion is. That's something they romanticize it and then they make it look something else, you know, like, oh, you went to, if you see a film back in the days of, someone going to Mexico it's kind of like very uh, uh you know it, it's kind of I don't know how to explain it but it, it's kind of like you, you'll see something that it's not like when you go there it's like oh that's not what it looked like in the movie right. like they made them look like oh look it was in the shack like not romantic rustic, but like rustic, rustic. thank yes. you yes yeah. so it's like there's a different feel and look to it again this is what Hollywood does is what the images that they put out you know yeah. and it influences our society and how we view ourselves, unfortunately, because that's what they tell us it is. Um, and I think Marilyn, she got it. She understood. And I think that's why she had so much love for Mexico. I mean, she traveled there a lot. She hung out there with the Brat Pack, like Frank Sinatra, all those guys, like they loved it too. People don't talk about that. They would frequent going to Acapulco, going to, you know, Mexico City. Like they would go so much and it's just, we don't know about it. It was like their spot. That was their hangout. That was their place where they felt like I could be me. And I love this country. And no one knew about it. I'm talking about it like I'm not Mexican and I have so much pride for it, you know? Right. Uh, but I love it. But I imagine like I, that's part of the thing I want to do. I want to do be successful here and take that to Peru. I want to build an industry there and make it because I think it will help our country, um, you know, there's money in it. And that's what they look at, right? So I think like if I can bring a little bit of the industry and film stuff and film credit and all that stuff, because people travel to different countries and places to film because there's benefits, let's do that in Peru. I would love to do that. I want to be behind that. That's part of my goal. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, now counting, you know, like the Maryland, Mexico or the or culture film, what is one story that you would like to tell that hasn't perhaps hasn't been told yet or hasn't been told properly. So like something different than like the Maryland story and that <laughs> then the old culture that it's in the works as well. Um, God, that's such a good question. 
uh, <laughs> it's a hard one. <laughs> but, well, I I want to tell a st- like a love story based in Peru. Like I want to tell, uh, but I don't want to. I got to be very careful because of the times that we're living. But we know the Spaniards went and invaded Peru, right? And they try to take over it. But I know there's got to be a love story there because there is. I my I have a great 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 grandfather that was from Spain, um, from my mother's side. I only know this because I went to uh, Real Felipe by, you know, uh, Callao right there. I yeah. went there and there's this big, in one of the rooms, there's this big portrait of a, a, a man who looked identical to my grandfather. And it said, um, uh, Francisco Veratudela. And I was like, what the hell? And that's my grandfather's name. Yeah. And I looked at it and I was like, what am I? And at the time, this is before like smartphones. This is like, I, this is when I went when I was 12. and I wanted to take a picture of it and I they came up to me like no pictures like no flash photography and I was like I want to go back I haven't gone back I want to go back now with my phone and record it uh no flash photography <laughs> but I want to get this because I keep telling my family I was it was just me and my dad and it was my mom's side obviously but my dad was the one that was with me and I looked at it I was like that's my grandfather and it turned out it wasn't it was like his great great grandfather or whatever like so it was like a general from Spain in this huge portrait in the Spaniard side of Real Felipe, you know, so there was, a, they showed like maps of where the, yeah. you know, Peruvian soldiers and the, you know, Spanish soldiers were. And so that stuck with me again, as soon as I was 12 and I saw them, it was my grandfather's name. So obviously they kept passing down the damn name, you know? So it was just like, that's my grandfather's name, but it wasn't my grandfather. It was my great, great, I don't know how many times, right. you know, grandfather. Right. So I was like blown away. And I was like, from the Spanish side, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> so it's just like, okay. And I'd love to tell a story kind of like Pocahontas, but in Cusco, of uh, a woman from, you know, like the Incans, you know, but also a Spaniard, you know, and it's kind of like uh, an unwanted love, not not wanted, forbidden, but forbidden, forbidden love, forbidden love story. Yeah. But the difference is instead of the woman turning like into like, okay, fine, now I'm, I'll go with the Spaniard. No, he stays. That's the story I want to tell because I feel that's sort of what it was. You know, I don't know the story of what I saw there, you know, but I feel there's a lot of that because there's a lot of people there that did stay like Mm -hmm. a Japanese, like there's like the, the, when there was the wars going on and there was a lot of the invasion where the Japanese people came to Peru. That's why you have that delicious cultural fusion of food. It's so good. Like the Peruvian chief was the best, I swear. Yeah. And but, also, I guess I wonder when the slaves, when the Europeans were bringing in slaves, mm-hmm. they, so I, I'm, I think I'm assuming some of them would escape and like went to mm-hmm. the to the mountains to the Andes to live with like the people there. So there's yeah. also another story that. There's what I'm saying. Like that's yeah. I want to go into that. I want to dig into it because yeah. I think there's so much. There was love there because they still stayed. They felt accepted in Peru. Right. The, you know the country, except even though we were fighting because we're like we didn't want to give it up. And we didn't. The Spaniards did not win. They ended up leaving. They took a lot of gold. They didn't take all of it. They took a lot, but they didn't, but they didn't take the country. And that I think is is a beautiful story right there. Is that so many people try to take our country and we still we're this little country that exists. People want it and we're still there. We're still thriving. Even right now with all this, you know, issues with the Venezuelans and they're all coming in. And there's a lot of that going on. There's still, I heard my my father just gave came back a couple of weeks ago, said that he went and talked to a couple of Venezuelans and he's like, they're the best. Like they were so kind and they were so grateful. They're like, thank you for letting me stay in your country. Like, let me do something for you. And, and he's like, and we have a lot of love and, and 
it's not always bad what you see. Of course, like people are trying to escape bad. And right. of course, you're going to get some bad. But the truth is, they love the country. And I, I love it too. So I want to show that. I want to tell a, a real beautiful love story in Peru. Yeah, no, I'm excited for your future films about love stories in Peru. <laughs> uh, definitely, uh, let's stay connected. Uh, let's reach out to all the other Peruvian platforms to help to go fund this, <laughs> this film. And as we wrap up, what is the one message you want our audience to remember from this conversation? Just, yeah, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> the, the, always weigh your options and just go with your heart. You know, just know what you're getting into, but know what you're getting into. You know, it's like fully know what you're getting into before you accept it. Uh, I just, I'm really glad that you have this podcast, honestly. It's really good. I, I listened to it. I want to thank you for it. I, you know, congratulations on the baby. I, I just want to say this because uh, honestly, it's, it's good to have something like this, a platform like this, because I feel, I don't feel so isolated. You know, because I felt like, is there anyone else out there that's like me? We're kind of in limbo. I'm Peruvian. I'm American. And I'm here. Is there anyone else? <laughs> you know. So thank you so much. I, I feel super connected with the others that you've interviewed. So I just want to thank you for allowing me and giving me the space to chat as well. Thank you, Alexa. That really uh, means a lot. If um, members of our audience want to connect with you, want to support uh, female filmmakers, views to support you and your films your writing how can they connect with you yeah they can find me on instagram alexa polar i'm very simple everywhere that you find me that's going to be my name it's it's that's it you know tw well twitter's different don't go to twitter but I'm, I'm there but i'm just saying like um the name so it's always alexa polar even on facebook but instagram if you go on instagram for sure my bio my link tree yeah. is there yeah. so you can connect there and then you can find female filmmakers views it's a lot of f's but you'll find the connection and the link on my Instagram as well. Awesome. And we'll add all those links and those articles to the episode notes. Alexa, thank you again. I wish you good luck in all your projects. And yeah, I'm looking forward to staying connected and supporting you along the way. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Just wanted to take a break here to share that Peruvians of USA now has an online store. Help us spread the message that El Mejor Amigo de Un Peruano es Otro Peruano by visiting our online store. We also have feminine versions that said La Mejor Amiga de Una Peruana es Otra Peruana or gender neutral versions. This could be the perfect gift for a Peruvian in your life. Visit the link on the episode notes or link in bio. All right, back to the episode. Are you a small business looking to expand your digital footprint? Are you a small business looking to reach more of the Peruvian diaspora in the United States? Consider sponsoring an episode of Peruvians of USA. Peruvians of USA has launched its first sponsorship program. If you're interested, please visit peruviansofusa.com slash sponsors or send us a message on Instagram. Thank you for listening to Peruvian CVSA. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and review an Apple podcast. It lets other Peruvians find the show. If you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Peruvian CVSA. I'm looking forward to connecting with you there. All right. Talk to you soon. Ciao.